Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. What you're willing to sacrifice to get what you want. And I say to people, look, if you're not willing to, you know, sacrifice to get to that goal, you're not actually going to get there. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, when we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Joe Brown, performance coach and performance physiotherapist at Performance State. Focusing on performance, we're going to cut to the root on whether you can coach resilience. Joe, are you ready for the knife? 100%, bring it. Okay. Is it true that only life can teach you resilience, not coaches? I would tend to disagree. Resilience to me is that capacity to bounce back, to overcome any hurdle and return to your performance state or your best performance. And so to me, resilience is something that you can teach if you've got the right school skills, I should say, not schools. Schools are way past it. <laughs> the and so who's got, who's, who needs the right skills? Is it the person or the coach? Both. But the coach needs to understand and have the capacity to teach and articulate those skills. Understand what? So to what? me, it's about un- understand the skills, like what is required. So to me, it's about perception. So resilience to overcome is for some people it's not it's not to overcome so something could happen in their day and it's nothing they just cruise past it for other people that's something they have to overcome that's perception so whether something's tough or is hard and is something they can get through is about their perception and the choices they make so if you give someone the skills and the capacity to see things in a different light they're actually going to be able to overcome. So then you, in essence, you can teach resilience. But aren't we being resilient all the day? So you start the day and you burn your toast or make the tea too strong. Uh, you either drink, you drink the tea or you get rid of the toast. I mean, that's overcoming problems all the time. So aren't we being resilient all the time? I mean, we wouldn't get through the day otherwise. Yeah, 100% we are. But it's the extent of the problem or the hurdle that you need to overcome and you know, the world that you're living in. I recently spent time with the Jamaican bobsled team and, you know, very much like the original Cool Runnings, like in the movie, we we went without a lot of things. We were sharing tools, borrowing sleds, you know, and living off chicken and lettuce and eggs for weeks at a time because that's all we could afford, you know. So there's a certain resilience that or a skill set uh, but okay, so uh, so that obviously there's a lot of resilience in there, but surely when you come to these things, you know that you're going to be facing that. So you've got to be a certain sort of person already. So, um, I mean, the, the, the film is obviously gives a, a sense of some of the resilience that they had to have, and we can imagine that. But they must be approaching that, realising that they're not going to have an easy ride. I know there's probably a metaphor in there somewhere as well. It, these people are already set up to be 
facing problems, but there must be other times when you have unexpected problems and you don't you don't know what to deal with them because you're not set up for it. Hundred percent, and I think, like you're saying, is there some people that have more resilience than others, and can some people be coached and some people can't? And I, essentially, I think that's the same in anything. Like some people are more coachable than others. Some people have a bigger why to keep them going. So when I, I talk about having four pillars of performance when I work with athletes, and the first pillar is your purpose and perceptions, which essentially is all about your why and knowing what you want at all cost, what you're willing to do to achieve those goals. Okay, can what? I just stick, stick with that then? So that that's obviously very, very important. Now, if they've got that, mm-hmm. are you able to then coach them to have a better purpose or a better perception or is that just under, underpins everything they do? I don't – I it normally for most of the athletes, so I work with high performance, and most of those people are a certain type of people – and they inherently are more connected to those things. But, for instance, when you talk about resilience and you talk about, say, the Jamaican Bob's their team and going without, their why is so much bigger. It's a way to get out. It's a way to get famous, to, you know, make money, to feed their family, to build their family a house, all those things that other people in the world just take for granted. So I think it's so circumstantial. Okay, so we I understand now that uh, these people are coming with a very strong why, purpose, and perception. Um, now, if you're a coach and you're not with the Jamaican bobsleigh team who are prepared to do all these things, how are you going to get people to have, um, so with, with this first pillar then, get them to be more coachable and more resilient? I think, so what I do personally is I break, like like you're trying to break me down right now and get to the root of it. I'll break them down and say, well, why do you want it? Why do you want to be an elite athlete? What is it that you're going to get from it? And because what you're willing to sacrifice to get what you want. And I say to people, look, if you're not willing to, you know, sacrifice to get to that goal, you're not actually going to get there. So resilience is part of that. It's having that big enough Thing that's driving you that when you don't want to do it or when your car's so what, are you, down, what are you sacrificing so uh i make a choice to go to the olympics say and that doesn't mm-hmm. sound like too much of a sacrifice to me because that's something wonderful to go and do so there i've i've only got a certain amount of time in my life and i'm going to go off and do something absolutely amazing which may or may not give me success so how, how can we help people understand what sacrifice is so sacrifice can be is you know if you're an elite athlete for instance you're sacrificing being with your family all the time most athletes are on the road a lot traveling a lot to go and get to different events to try and qualify for the big events to try and even qualify for the olympics it's you know not going to your friend's birthday and going out partying because you need to be at training at four o'clock in the morning it's not having a girlfriend because that's a distraction it's not being there for your little sister's wedding because you had to go to the Olympics. It's, so there's always a flip side of everything. And so you've got to really want that so much, like I said, and have that why to be able to have that capacity to overcome. You want that thing, that whatever it is, more than anything else. If I become a very a top athlete, I'm then mm. rejecting or sacrificing some of those key things that you said, family, uh, maybe I don't go see my 
sister perform in in a play uh maybe i don't spend as much time with my parents as i as i should maybe i don't build uh, relationships with people who are just just generally my friends not my not my uh people athletes is that is that a is that a problem within this performance high place? performance yeah hundred percent I think it it really is, and I think we're seeing the results of that now coming out more and more in the media around athletes that are struggling with mental health and you know losing that balance in that pursuit of high performance and that best performance driving in the whole time, but in that just counting some of the other things that make us human. And one thing that I like to say is everyone I work with is human first and athlete second. And sometimes in those really high performing, high pressure situations, you can lose track of that. And I have it written lots of places. I have it on my laptop and in my phone, all those kind of things, because we can all get pushing, you know, beyond and sacrificing too much. So in saying this, it's a balance. And I also talk about having a performance pie and I'll get an athlete to kind of shade in parts of the pie in their different parts of their life, essentially. And, okay, give you know, me some examples of this performance pie then, because it sounds fascinating uh, in terms of trying to build uh, a more, well, literally more rounded picture. Yeah, I, I like it. On, it's such a great metaphor and analogy. And I've only just started using it more and more, but mm. it kind of came apart because and essentially when I talk about pie, it's, there's a metaphor of we've all got our own recipe for high performance as well. Mm. So different ingredients for everyone's pie. So I have things that I'll make them include in that pie, but then I'll say, is there anything else you want to put in there? And it might be that they secretly want to be a world chess champion as well, you know, so that's part of their pie. It's part of who they are. But if an athlete can only give me three or four things, they don't even get eight bits of the pie, I'm a little bit concerned as well. But essentially I will stack it on one side so it's the things that relate more to their performance. So it'll be things like, you know, their strength and conditioning, how do they rate themselves in terms of where they are, their strength and conditioning, their form and all those kind of things at their sport. But then, you know, family, relationships, friends, other outside interests, you know, and having a look at what that looks like for them as a whole person. And if They've got everything shaded on one side in terms of I'm filled up in my performance side, but I don't have anything in my human side, then I'm pretty concerned and that's a check-in and, you know, do we need to change some things? And my experience working with so many different sports over the years, happy athletes perform well. And so, so, so you know, I just I, so I'm thinking about resilience here and uh, happy. And does, do, do, they, do, they, do they go together? Resilience and happiness? Yeah. I think so. Because? Well, to me, and I think that the problem with resilience is it's one of those words that's been bandied around so much in the last 10 years, right? And if you actually look up the definition of it, essentially, is to overcome or to bounce back. And so if you consider it as this bouncing back thing, a happy athlete will bounce back from those, you know, little stumbles and even those bigger stumbles and a happy athlete is going to have a greater capacity to u- utilize different strategies and have a uh, wider spread of emotions that they're capable and to use. You know, a sad, depressed athlete is going to be a whole lot harder to motivate and bring back to that status quo after any little road bump. So some uh, some some athletes, as you say, are going to be not 
naturally resilient, they're going to be bounced back. But you talked a bit about the strategies there. So what what sort of things might you be employing just on a, on a general basis to just help them become better at bouncing back? So comes, oh, there's so many components to it. One is definitely perception, like something happens, you've got a choice, how are you going to react? Mm. Talk about that quite a lot and obviously making good choices and choosing the emotions we carry forth, all those kind of things, but then always having an action plan. And so one is, you know, choosing how we're going to react. Are we going to react or are we going to respond? When we respond, we actually think about what we're doing and we can actually create an action plan. When we react, it's like a firecracker. It just goes boom, it goes off and kind of everyone's walked away from the situation because they don't know what's going to happen next. So definitely respond rather than react and then have a plan. So second pillar is planning and processes. So have processes in place. When something goes wrong, your way of dealing with it is, you know, and for some people it's that they call their mum or some people it is they go and play loud music or, you know, have their their thing that helps them decompress is one thing. Oh, there's so many different things. One is making sure you're getting enough sleep. Obviously, so I'm just on, so interested on this sleep thing because obviously it's a massive piece in this. Most of us will know that if we've had something which has gone wrong and it's uh, it's in the forefront of our mind, it is hard to sleep. Or should you wake up early, it's hard to get back to sleep. So how do we help the the person become uh, better at say sleeping because obviously the m- more sleep you get the more probably more able you are to overcome these problems a hundred percent and you know I'm not a sleep specialist I know a lot about sleep but and I've got some good friends that are sleep specialists and I'm just <laughs> you know like oh my gosh are they listening right now yeah I know um, well okay so so what we're saying is that uh, with the, the sleep is important we need to find ways to yeah. Sleep hygiene. So sleep hygiene, all the simple stuff that we all know, and I feel like a broken record, but, you know, no screens, bef- you know, 20 minutes before bed, avoid blue light, you know, up to two hours before bed, try and have a regular bedtime, be consistent, don't eat too close before going to bed, all those kind of things, try and sleep in the same bed, use the same pillows, mm. you know, have a sleep routine, Water is a big thing. So if you're dehydrated, that will impact your sleep as well. So, so many little things we can do to try and have better sleep. In terms of the sleep science, there's a whole lot of people that know a lot more about that than I do. But I would say with athletes that are struggling, their sleep hygiene is priority. Right. So, I mean, as as all as all of us as coaches that we will help them get to a certain stage. And then obviously we have to lean on, lean on the experts. So uh, what you're saying is that in a sense, we're teaching someone to know how to be resilient rather than if someone has uh, something go wrong, we're there to pick them up. They've got to, they've got to find the solutions themselves. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, uh, so you've done, you've, I mean, obviously, we can't dig into every single pillar in all, all detail. So there's two other pillars that you've uh, tantalized us with, and uh, we don't know what they are. <laughs> okay, so the third pillar is patterns and practice. So that's what we actually do. So how we actually execute. So it might be having a strategy around your warm-up process or if something goes wrong. I had a dancer that had absolute nightmare drama every time she went on stage and she was so worried that there's going to be something wrong with their costume and that was just giving her so much anxiety so we had to 
give her a strategy of if it happens, it happens, you know, and she actually had a word in her head if she had a thing and she just had to laugh. And I said, just right. laugh, you know, like it's a word coming to your head and that's your trigger just to laugh your way through it. So always having, giving them their worst fears. So normally go, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, well, what what is our strategy? If that happens, what's the worst thing? What? How can we deal with that? And so you've already kind of envisaged worst case scenario. Um, and then it's just having strategies to deal with any other things that can happen on game day. So little things or race days. So for instance, um, when I work with Noah, he won't mind you sharing this, his mum for a whole lot of years has taken a spare race suit and um, spikes to the track for him. Now I carry those spikes in the, and the suit, but you know that he doesn't have to worry about because that's the strategy he's already dealt with. So all those worst case scenario things that you do have some control over have some control over. And that's about having some routines and rituals around all those things. So patterns and practice. And, and, then, num- fourth- and then number four. Yes. Yeah, so the fourth one is people and power. So it's all about the people that you surround yourself with. So the people that you let influence you and the people you choose to influence. And in today's day and age, that's really important because so many athletes and people in high performance are putting so much focus on how they're influencing in the world and that can impact who you actually are in your own performance. So um, super important to consider both sides of the coin there. Okay, brilliant. Well, Joe, we've managed to get the four pillars out of you, and that's uh, that's on me really <laughs> to uh, to uh, make you resilient enough to get to the four pillars, which is um, really interesting. So, Joe works in uh, high performance with teams and individuals, including Olympic medalist, the US sprinter Noel Lyles, and the Jamaican Bob Slade team. Uh, her philosophy is: I live in relentless pursuit of high performance for anyone with a dream, driven by excellent, fueled by an unwavering belief. And powered by connection, I believe high performance is a way of life and every moment we choose. If you are courageous enough, whatever comes your way, face it, fix it and fly forever. You can contact her um, at performancestate.com. So that's performance-state.com. We're going to finish with uh, some quick fire questions. Joe, how old are you? 43 and proud. Great. Uh, what coaching book is by your bedside at the moment? I actually right now are reading Michelle Obama's book. So it's not a coaching book, but it's an inspirational woman book. It's, yeah, interesting. Uh, which coach or teacher are you loving at the moment? Oh, so many. I've always been a fan of Tim Grover. He resonates because we do a similar thing for athletes. So, Which team, sport or subject would you love to coach at the moment? Ooh, if I wasn't in track, oh my gosh, so many. I would love to just go and do something completely random, like aerial skiing or something. Aerial just skiing? Use, oh, use my, all the tools that I have in my basket to do, like use biomechanics, use mindset, you know, use strength and conditioning, all those things in a completely different sport and just, you know, see how I could make a difference. That'd be great. Who's inspired you most? Ooh, this one's a tricky one for me. Ah, oh, so many. I've I've really been inspired by the Jamaican people as a whole in the Jamaican track and field team and the Jamaican bobsled and my interactions with them and just seeing athletes that have gone without and still live, you know, and where they train and what circumstances they live under then just go and 
kick butt in the world, I just think is amazing. So <laughs> I wouldn't want to go out one athlete. Um, <laughs> okay. yeah. I think we're allowed to have a group. What would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? Step up to the plate and ask more questions. Joe, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. 